Welcome to Built to Go, a van live podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from, well, I'm in the Gulf of Maine on a cruise ship. And this is a very different kind of episode here. I'm going to do kind of a live version of this. I'm not going to do a lot of editing. I just want to get the episode up so you guys aren't left in the lurch. First, a quick announcement. Next week, we're going to have a very special guest by the name of Big Rob. And as you may have seen before on this podcast, Big Rob has an Econoline that he's building out and that he's camping in, and he is going to be the guest host of the podcast this upcoming next week for episode 188. So that uh, is a very good episode, and it's going to be much longer than this one, too. So don't feel like you're getting gypped. At any rate, this time, I am sitting on a ship right now in the middle of the Gulf of Maine. We're actually heading to Portland, Maine, and, uh, well... We left from St. John, New Brunswick, and if you look at a map, they're really close to each other. <laughs> but we can't dock in Portland until tomorrow, so we're actually just kind of floating around out here, waiting until we can dock, which is kind of weird. The ship is moving really slow, and it's actually pointing away from Portland right now. So, <laughs> that's how it goes. But look, I wanted to talk about what is the best computer to bring with you in a van. We have a lot of different options now, and computer technology has changed a bit in recent years. I have often said that Macs are very good for van life because they have really long battery life, but also because you can charge them USB, and that's a big deal. See, most PCs use 19.2 volts to charge. So you get your PC laptop and you get your brick and you need that brick, but you then have to use an inverter. And as we know, every time you use your inverter, you're losing some power in the conversion from 12 volt to 110 volts. So you don't want to do that if you don't have to. And well, modern Macs, you can use USB-C, but we are now getting to the point where most PCs also have a USB charging method. So I've got a gamer PC here. Actually, I'll show you. I brought my gaming PC with me on this cruise. And for those watching on YouTube, here it is. It's a big beast of a thing made by Acer. Um, not the fanciest thing in the world, but you know, it's your typical PC. I can play Starfield on here or just about any game I want. Not at the best quality, but, but good enough. And uh, you know, you can't play games very well on a Mac, so I have a PC for games. That's what I like to do. But it comes with this big brick. Oops. It comes with this big brick and I have to plug it into my inverter if I want to use it in the van. Except, I found out I don't. On the back, there is also this USB-C port and I can charge with that. So congrats PC folks, you can now charge the same way as a Mac. With one exception, the power needs of these two computers is very, very different. My MacBook Pro, which is an M1, it was a pretty high-end computer when I bought it a year ago, uh, it only draws 100 watts when you're charging and most PD chargers will get close to that. And it has a much bigger battery than the PC, so I find that I can use the Mac mostly all day and then let it charge overnight and it's fine. If I'm playing games on my PC, well, it is drawing a lot more power. In fact, the brick that comes with this thing is 190 watts, which is significantly larger. So 
this is not a great machine if you're just going to do video editing and things like that because it draws so much power. Now, if you've got, you know, 300 amp hours of lithium in there, you probably don't care so much about using the inverter. But for those of us with smaller systems, it's kind of a problem. So I just want you to be aware that PCs do charge USB-C now. Now, there are other computers you can use too. Like, let's say you are just the type of person who is, needs to get on the web. You're not doing a lot of content creation. You just need to get on the web to pay your bills and to order things from Amazon and see what the news is, that kind of thing. If you're like that, I will give a semi-recommendation to Chromebooks. Chromebooks are very inexpensive and they're lightweight and they're tough. That's one of the best things about Chromebook. My Chromebook that I bought ooh, seven or eight years ago now is just a tank. It's this white plastic thing and I can use it as a frisbee and the thing's going to still work. And all it basically is, is a Chrome web browser. That's it. You can put SD cards in it and save things and stuff like that, but you're not going to be doing things like running Final Cut Pro on there or Adobe Photoshop or anything like that. You can run online versions of those things. And they're like $300. They're very inexpensive. Now, I haven't seen one that charges USB-C yet. They may exist. I haven't looked into Chromebooks for a while. But the biggest drawbacks of Chromebooks is that they expire. <laughs> After you've had your Chromebook for five years, Google will turn off updates. You can still use them, but you won't get any more security updates or anything. And if something goes wrong or there's a hack or something, you're just, that's the end. You can run Linux on it. And let's take a step back here. If you're somebody who likes Linux, well, you're in good shape. You can use any hardware you want because, you know, Linux will run on just about anything, including old Chromebooks. So if you're a Linux person, that's great but Linux requires more skill, more knowledge. Uh, you won't be using off-the-shelf apps quite the same. Linux is its own thing. Good for you if you're using it, but it's not really an option for everyone. What else is on here? Oh, and the last thing to consider, if you look back here, you'll see my iPad here. Let me show you this. For a lot of people, an iPad is becoming an option to be your only computer. This is a, it's an older iPad Pro, but it has the magic keyboard. And as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, just imagine in your mind's eye, if you're only on the podcast, it has a keyboard and it, it actually feels like a little laptop, but it's tiny. The battery lasts forever and you can do everything on here that most people do all day. However, oh, one other thing about the iPad that has a big advantage, this has its own phone number. This thing has cellular data. So if you have a plan that has unlimited cellular data, 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 your iPad can actually be an, a one-stop shop for all your internet. You just pay your monthly fee for internet on your iPad, and then you can use it all day long, all week long, all month long, and never have to worry about an overage. Plus it also does Wi-Fi too. So that is a really nice feature. One thing you could do is get a cell phone and then add on the iPad as another phone. And let's say you are a video creator. Well, you can use Final Cut Pro on here. You can use LumaFusion and you can upload from the iPad without any worry about data overages because it's technically a phone. If you use your phone as a hotspot and use a computer, then you're gonna be eating up your hotspot data, which on my plan is very limited. 
but if I upload directly from my phone or my iPad, isn't limited. So the iPad has a lot going for it in van life. Also, you can actually you know, use a Mac or a PC, edit your file, transfer your file to the iPad, and then upload it from here and save all that bandwidth. So that's an option too. Now, an awful lot of computing is your personal preference. Some people like PCs, some people like Macs. I find the iPad to be a fine platform for media consumption. You know, in the morning, if I want to read my email, it's fine. If I want to watch some TV shows, it's fine. For content creation, I have run into a lot of problems with lack of flexibility. Like, the podcast software doesn't communicate with the servers the same way. I had a, I remember I took this to Antarctica as my only computer and I had all kinds of problems in low bandwidth situations where things would time out on the iPad, but they wouldn't have on a computer. So this does not do everything a computer does, but it does a lot of what a computer does and you might find it is enough for you. It wasn't for me. Now, what about a desktop computer? You know, a lot of the hardcore gamers are like, ah, you and your silly laptops, we don't want to use those. We want to build our own system, Arr, a big beefy thing. You can do that, but at that point, you're, you're reaching a technical level that's a bit beyond what the average consumer does. And that's fine and good for you. I used to be one of those people. I used to always build my own laptop, <laughs> my own PCs and got them exactly the way I wanted. But remember the power thing. Most desktop PCs don't care about power. They're not really optimizing for that. They figure they've got a 15 amp circuit and they're just gonna draw all of that power for whatever they want. That power comes into the power supply and then the power supply splits it up into five volts, 12 volts, different sections for what different parts of the computer need. So yeah, you can absolutely use a desktop computer in your van, but it's gonna draw a lot of power, especially if it's a custom gaming unit that you've built yourself. If you have something like a Mac Mini or something small or something solid state, it'll use less, but I question why you would want to have a Mac Mini instead of a MacBook Pro. You could have a bigger monitor, etc. I, I don't know. I mean, there may be reasons to do that, but I, I think a MacBook Pro makes a lot of sense, and it's certainly a lot easier to remove from the van so that people don't steal it. And let's talk about that for a second. If somebody breaks into your van and sees your computer, they're going to steal it. So what I recommend you do when you're building out your van is have a little hidey hole for laptops. I have one in my van. Now remember, we're talking about a little tiny space. This is usually going to be a space that's wasted. You can't fit a can of soup in this space, but you will find that there are these little narrow places where you can put a laptop. And I found a perfect one in my ambulance. And generally, a thief is not going to go digging enough to actually find that. So consider that, you know, as you're building out. You can put it under your mattress and under your pillow. I mean, take it with you. There's lots of things you can do. But if you just, like, leave it on the shelf in the van, and if anyone breaks in, it's the first thing they're going to steal. <laughs> After your wallet, but, you know, you're probably not going to leave that in there either. So, computing in vans has never been easier. You have a lot more options than you did just a few years ago. But remember the biggest thing that's on most people's minds in the van is power. You don't want to use any more power than you need to and you have to have a way to replenish it. And because of that, I think a device that recharges USB is going to give you your maximum flexibility. And honestly, an iPad, if you can get away with an iPad for everything you need to do, 
it's the easiest to charge, it's battery lasts the longest, it's the smallest, the easiest to hide, the easiest to keep with you. It's a pretty good solution for van life. But again, not necessarily for me who needs to do big stuff in low bandwidth situations. <laughs> what do we get next here? Oh, product review. So product review. Ta-da, it's a little weird without the music, huh? And I'm kind of skipping tech talk because the first section was kind of a tech talk. <laughs> so this is an unusual product review and um, it's something that I've used on and off over the years, but I've realized that it, this is good for a bunch of different things. And it is a money belt. Now, if you've not heard of a money belt, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a belt you wear that holds money. And I'm wearing one right now. And oh, I'm gonna show it to you. Yes, very exciting stuff going on here on YouTube. Do not report me. Okay, that was exciting. This is my money belt. And I picked this one specifically because it is completely generic. This, it's just a nylon, black nylon belt with a plastic buckle, which I chose to get through TSA. I don't have to take my belt off unless they yell at me. And they shouldn't because it's just plastic. And it looks like nothing. It has no fashion sense. It's just a black nylon strap. But if you look on the inside, there's this big zipper and it goes all the way. And then if you bend it a little bit, you can see, well, actually I don't have anything in here, do I? Is there anything in here? Oh, wait, what's this? Aha! And you can see that folded in here, I have a hundred dollar bill. So whenever I'm wearing this belt, I have an emergency $100 bill with me. And, um, that's a good thing. Now, I don't wear this all the time, so if you're thinking of jumping me in an alley sometime, I'm probably not going to be wearing the money belt. And, uh, you know, for a hundred bucks, it's probably not worth it. But um, when I'm traveling, you know, sometimes I'll bring cash with me when I'm traveling. Like when I went to Buenos Aires, hundred dollar US bills were worth more than 520s. It's a funny thing. Some cultures have different ideas of what money's value is. And, and in Asia too, if your money is, dirty or ripped, they may not take it. So having some pristine bills and a money belt makes sense. But obviously if you're traveling with money, you don't want it like easy to find. So a money belt is a great place to hide not only money, but important documents too. Like if you're traveling, it's not a bad idea to have a copy of your passport in your money belt or personal identification, anything like that. That it's You can see the spot here. It's, it's about no, I don't know, two in two feet or two and a half feet long, and it's an inch or so wide, and basically any folded piece of paper you can put in here. Now here's the thing, what if you don't wear belts? Or what if you are fashion conscious, which I am not, and want to wear a fashionable belt, and this thing just isn't going to do it for you? Well, look at this, look at this, it's just a nylon strap. And uh, you could put this around a sleeping bag, you could hang it off the wall, you could put it on a backpack, and the casual viewer is going to see a nylon strap. I mean, they're not going to even know it's a belt, never mind a money belt. And you can cinch it up around anything, or you can even kind of put it in a coil and it'll just be sitting on the shelf and someone will think, oh look, it's a belt, and they're not going to think twice about it. So I think this particular money belt is a pretty good way to hide some money in plain sight. Not very many people use these things. They're not something that thieves are going to be looking for. And most money belts are leather. 
these nylon ones are kind of rare, so I think they're pretty good. Now, I'm making them less rare. <laughs> I understand that. But you guys are on the inside now. I'll have a link in the show notes. There's a few different manufacturers, but uh, I've been very happy with this. And uh, yes, the most important part of a belt is whether it holds your pants up. And this does indeed hold my pants up most of the time. Tales from the road. So the ship I'm on is Serenade of the Seas. It is one of four Radiance-class ships that Royal Caribbean had built for them in Germany in the early 2000s. And Serenade of the Seas, I believe, was the third one built. Doesn't really matter. They're all very, very similar. And I was on the sister ship of this, which is called Jewel of the Seas, in 2005, when it was fairly new, and we did an unusual cruise from Boston to Bermuda to San Juan. It's kind of an unusual, they don't really do that itinerary too much anymore. But there's something funny about Bermuda. A lot of people who don't look at maps a lot think Bermuda is, you know, it's a tropical island down in the Caribbean, and it's not. It's not tropical, it's not in the Caribbean. It's about a thousand miles off the coast of North Carolina. It's in the middle of the Atlantic. And why that matters is that if you are going to Bermuda, you have to go to Bermuda. There's nowhere else you can divert to. And this trip I took, we ran into a hurricane. Now, I've run into hurricanes on cruise ships before. It's no big deal. The ship is faster than the hurricane. It can outrun it, it can go around it, it can go somewhere else. But remember, we were going to Bermuda. And so the captain had to make a decision of either turning around and going back to Boston or kind of riding out the storm and going to Bermuda, which would let him continue with his whole itinerary. And that's what he chose to do. So I actually got to ride out a hurricane on a ship like this one. And, um, well, there's a couple of stories around that. First off, yeah, everyone got sick. There was a lot of seasickness that night, and a lot of things fell over. There was breaking glass, and you know the liquor store had a really hard time. But we were in a cabin at the bottom of the ship, way up front, that had a round glass window. And it was basically underwater through much of the storm. It looked like a washing machine. And we got a knock on the door, and these crew members came in with this big aluminum disc. I, this thing was like three feet in diameter. And they said, oh, excuse us, you know, and they, they kind of came into our room and then they stuffed this aluminum disc in the window and kind of fought with it a bit and then figured out how to attach it and then said, okay, thank you. And then they were leaving and we were like, what's that for? And they were like, oh, that's just to slow down flooding. Bye. <laughs> like. They put that in there in case the window, which was like a giant porthole, but it didn't open or anything. They put that there in case that window got smashed. This would help keep the seawater out. It wasn't an airtight or watertight seal in any way. It was just sitting there. So that didn't fill us with confidence, but uh, okay, that's, it's okay, right? I mean, we turned on the TV, appeared to look and see what the ship could see as uh, on in, in all the ships there's a camera that points out the front of the ship and you can turn the tv in the stateroom to that channel and see what it sees and we saw waves coming over the camera and the camera is above the bridge where the captain sits so basically waves were going over the entirety of the ship it was pretty intense but just as the storm was getting started 
I was on deck. I had taken a nap on one of the deck chairs in the back and I was walking around deck and then it started to get really windy and rainy and I was like, well, I better get inside. And I went to go inside and the door was locked and there was a big barrier across it on the inside that said entryway closed, but I was on the outside. I was like, oh, okay, that's annoying. So I walked down the deck in the rain and the wind to the next door and uh, same thing. And basically, I was trapped outside of the ship during a hurricane with 90 mile an hour winds and driving rain and I'm trying to find a way in the ship and I'm going around the ship trying each door and nothing opens and then finally I get to a door that opens and it's for this restaurant at the back of the ship. It was called Sea Shack then. It's now called Izumi. They change stuff all the time. I get in there and I'm like, whew, I made it. Do you know all the doors are locked? This is the only way in the ship. And the crew looked at me and said, well, we're, we can't get out of here without going outside. There is no door from here that goes into the ship. So they sent me back outside. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I could have stayed hunkered down in the sea shack, but I kind of wanted to get back into the actual real part of the ship. And so I went all the way around the ship again. And then finally I got a crew member's attention and they let me in and they said, sir, you shouldn't be out there. I'm like, well, goddamn, I know I shouldn't be out there. I'm trying to get back inside. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, that was part of that adventure. I've been on something like 45 cruises and that was the only cruise I've ever gotten sick on. I'm not counting Antarctica because that's a thing you do in Antarctica, but uh, yeah, that was the only one I'd ever had any kind of seasickness at all. And um, yeah, after that, had a great time in Bermuda and Puerto Rico and St. Thomas and the other places we went. So yeah, you can have fun on the high seas. Ah. See, all this stuff I usually edit out, like when the screensaver starts and I can't see what's on my script here next and uh, yeah, so you get to see all that because I'm not editing this episode, or you get to hear it. Okay, place to visit. So, uh, this ship is heading to Miami, and uh, it's a little weird. It, it docks in Boston, and then it goes to Miami, and I won't be on the ship. I have to get off. In fact, all the passengers have to get off in Boston, and then the ship is going to sail empty to Miami, and then all new passengers are going to get on, and I'm going to be one of the new passengers along with 57 other people because we're going to cross the Panama Canal from Miami all the way to LA. Okay. When we're in Miami, I've recommended that people go check this place out. South of Miami, there's a town called Homestead, which used to be famous for an Air Force base, but is now famous for getting wiped out by hurricanes. And in Homestead, there is, you could say it's a tourist trap, but it's actually kind of cool. It's a place called Coral Castle. So the legend is that the Swedish man fell in love with a woman way back in the 1930s and was building her her dream house out of blocks of coral. And then she said, no, I don't want to marry you, and left. And he was convinced that if he just kept building this castle out of coral blocks, she would change her mind and come back. And that's kind of interesting in and of itself, but it gets more interesting when we realize that this man, according to the legend, used no power tools, 
and no electrical cranes or bulldozers or anything to build this castle and yet some of the blocks that he used in this castle weigh as much as 10 tons and they're 10 15 feet in the air and there's all this conjecture as to he harnessed the power of gravity in a way no one has ever figured out before and he was conversing with dark spirits and all this stuff as to how he built this castle well, the man died many years ago now, and the castle remains, and it is very strange. Uh, it has all these, it's got your four walls like you might find in a castle, and then it has parapets in some places, but he built furniture and all kinds of astronomical shapes in there. In fact, Billy Idol filmed a video in Coral Castle, and one of the most impressive things is this door. It's this massive sheet of corals, just gigantic block of coral that pivots. It's, it's on a, well, it's on a pivot <laughs> in the middle. And you can push it open with one finger, even though it probably weighs 10 tons. Now, how could this man do this all by himself without any power tools? It's a mystery. Except for the pictures that show him using cranes and stuff, but we're gonna we're gonna ignore that So ultimately the man understood leverage and that's how he built all this, but it doesn't matter It's still a cool place to visit if you look at it as a work of art and just an oddity It's easy to get there from Miami And if you're ever in Miami and you have an afternoon to kill Coral Castle is kind of fun now It used to be this beautiful garden and all the trees had grown up around it and stuff And then a hurricane came and wiped all that out been a few years since I've been there so I don't know what it looks like now but yes it's a tourist trap but that's okay it's also a cool place to visit and I think if you visited you'd be happy you did it it gives you some things to think about oh that's it I'm out of script <laughs> well folks this is gonna be another short one I apologize for that uh, we were going to do a live podcast from the ship but we couldn't find a place to do it there's tons of stuff going on and, and I apologize for that in fact Simon Wagg is on the ship with me right now we were gonna do a thing but well, we're doing this instead so thank you for your patience and thank you for accepting this rather unusual episode but uh, music as always is by Simon Wagg even if there isn't any in the episode <laughs> Uh, next week, Big Rob is going to be here with episode 188, and he's got some really good content for you. And then episode 189, we're going to do live on this ship with a whole bunch of other people, and we're going to talk about some very different topics. So while I'm traveling, things are going to be weird, but I promise things are going to get back to normal as soon as I'm back on dry land. Thank you very much for listening, and I will catch you down the road, or across the seas, as the case may be.